Have you ever allowed your imagination to run wild about the world of work? To wonder what would happen if we tore up all the rules and started again? Welcome to Series 4 of What If, a podcast from the CIPD's work magazine that dares to ask the previously unthinkable. I'm Katie Jacobs from the CIPD, and in this episode I'm making the case, what if we had no employment law? Almost exactly 200 years ago, the UK Parliament passed the Master and Servant Act of 1823, one of the earliest examples of employment legislation. But the contents, well, those are rather different to the kind of laws many of us rely on to keep us safe and fairly treated in the workplace today. Rather more disciplinary in nature, this Act made it a criminal offence for a workman to be disobedient and called for strikes to be punishable by law as an aggravated breach of contract. Actually, maybe the latter isn't quite so different to what's being mooted by certain politicians right now. Since then, employment regulation in the UK has come a long way. In the decade after the Master and Servant Act, for instance, slavery was abolished and child labour laws were introduced. And today, workers in the UK enjoy protections covering everything, from the right to equal pay to the right to work free from any kind of discrimination. The right to receive redundancy payments to the right not to work excessively long hours via working time regulations. But not everyone is a fan of our current model of employment law. Take former Brexit Opportunities Minister Jacob Rees-Mogg, for example, who spoke enthusiastically about the need for a bonfire of EU red tape around employment regulation, promising to find out where regulations exist that we don't need and to try and get rid of them. While Rees-Mogg's vision is somewhat dead in the water and the government's current draft of the retained EU law bill leaves workers' rights relatively untouched, Many still see our exit from the EU as an opportunity to reshape employment regulation in the UK, making it less burdensome for small firms in particular. Indeed, research from the Federation for Small Businesses has found that owners of SMEs report spending up to four days a month, that's 33 hours, on business administration, something they feel holds back growth and innovation. Unsurprisingly, any talk of deregulation inspires much anger from unions, who fear that any weakening of workers' rights will lead to the dangerous potential for exploitation by rogue bosses. TUC General Secretary Paul Novak has demanded the government give firm commitments that they will not touch our hard-won workers' rights, citing holiday pay, rest breaks and equal pay as still at risk. It's a debate that inspires strong feelings, whichever side you're on. But in a world of work that looks very different to even five or ten years ago, and will look very different still in another ten... Surely it's worth examining whether the system we have now is fit for purpose. Does any employment regulation stifle growth, for smaller businesses especially? Or is it a necessary and welcome protection for workers and bosses alike? To discuss the present and future of employment law, I spoke to two experts who spend much of their time thinking, writing and speaking about employment legislation in the UK. Len Shackleton is Professor of Economics at the University of Buckingham and an Editorial and Research Fellow at the Institute of Economic Affairs. And Kate Palmer is Director of HR Advice and Consultancy at Global Employment Law Consultancy Peninsula. I began by asking them both to give a bit of context to how and why the UK's employment law landscape has developed over the years. Let's hear from Kate first. So, you know, it's been built over time, incrementally added on to. So you think back to the 1800s, where there was next to no employment law, the working conditions and the focus on the well-being of people really wasn't 
in the thinking of employers at that stage in those years gone by. So over time, and particularly since the 1980s, we've seen a real increase in statutory regulations, in case law coming into fruition and influencing statute, in EU-driven case law and, and regulations, which has changed obviously since Brexit. And what you see constantly is this evolving and changing, and it's an ever-changing landscape, which means it can be really complicated for employers and obviously really empowering for employees alike. But there's still contention. You know, we get often here at Peninsula employers saying it's too employee-focused. We get employees saying it's too employer-focused. So we're in a really good position where we've got an array of regulations. We've got loads of statute. We've got case law-driven um, rules and regulations. But still, there is tribunals. So still there is pushback and there is contention and there are things that employers do wrong. But, you know, it's tighter and more stringent now than it's ever been. And that will only continue to evolve and become more complex. And here's Lynn. It's complicated. It's a patchwork. A lot of it is homegrown. But in addition to the uh, the deliberate legislation, we've had a big expansion of the coverage of employment law via the tribunal system and judicial judgments of one kind or another. So we often find that, say, the law on discrimination, uh, that is vastly expanded by particular employment tribunal decisions. For example, about what is a protected belief that has spread out from fairly narrow interpretation to cover a great many things. As you'll soon tell, Len is not the biggest fan of what he views as burdensome and restrictive employment regulation. And one of his chief concerns is that the patchwork of employment legislation that firms of all shapes and sizes are bound to follow leads to negative, unintended and often unrealised consequences for all parties, as he explains. We need some system of employment regulation. We're not back in the early 19th century. Uh, time has moved on. But the question is whether we've got too much regulation. And I feel that we probably have got too much regulation. It's very easy to regulate something. It's very easy to push things through. It's very easy for tribunal decisions to be reached and so on, but without considering the bigger picture and who it really affects. Uh, there's a lot of misleading stuff around about regulation. It's not a way of tying bosses down and preventing uh, awful exploitation of workers. It can often be fairly trivial things which have a knock-on effect which people don't really fully anticipate. A lot of mandated benefits of one kind or another, whether they be parental leave or auto-enrolment in pension schemes and so forth, the ostensible burden of this falls on the employer. But in a competitive market, over time, these costs get passed on. They get passed on to consumers in terms of higher prices. But in very competitive markets, they also tend to fall quite heavily on employees. If, for example, you know, you can afford to pay an employee £30,000 a year, and then, you know, you're faced with a regulatory burden which costs £1,000 per employee, then you can only afford to pay £29,000 rather than £30,000. And sooner or later, this is going to be passed on, not necessarily in a pay cut, but in a cut in the rate of increase of pay. And one of the things that I think people are not fully aware of is how much of the, you know, the stagnation of real pay, which British workers have suffered from over the last 10 or 15 years, a lot of that is really down to the cost of mandates being passed on to workers in one form or another. But let's take a look at the positives for a moment. 
UK workers enjoy more employment rights compared to those in many other countries. This is Kate explaining what she thinks works well about our current system, those things that employees shouldn't take for granted. Well, certainly unfair dismissal for an employee. Under two years, they cannot claim under unfair dismissal, but over two years, they can. You know, there's contention around that. Many employees say it should be one year like it is in Northern Ireland, but it isn't in the England, Wales and Scotland. It's two years. But obviously, post the two year point, businesses can't dismiss people, you know, without going through a statutory process. They can't dismiss people without good reason and due process. So that works really well. There's lots of things businesses have to do to work fairly and reasonably post the two year mark. There's certainly lots of things around the working time regulations, holiday pay. That's extraordinarily rolled out in an eloquent way. In America, for example, you know, there's no paid leave. People don't get that. Some states have brought that in because they want to be good employees and it's the right thing to do. But in the UK, we have the working time regulations where you have to give people 5.6 minimum paid time off per leave year to ensure that they get in the right rest from work, the right health and safety rest. And certainly that works well, it's breaks within the working day. So the working time regulations work well. And what about Len? Despite his reticence about the value of many pieces of legislation, what does he think a modern employment law model couldn't do without? We need uh, regulation on safety, um, and that includes things like the hours worked in transport and uh, in medicine and so forth. We can't have uh, truck drivers driving 70 hours a week or something. This is clearly a problem. We need a system for enforcing contracts because one of the sad things about employment tribunals frankly, is there are a very large number of cases where people are just trying to get money which is owed to them. Irrespective of what you think about regulation in the labour market and so forth, it's important that people ought to be able to make sure their contracts are enforced and that employers are paying people what they have contracted to do. So both agree then on the need for at least some degree of protection for workers. But what specific areas could do with a rethink? Len would throw two things into the bin without much thought. One would be the apprenticeship levy, and the other the growth of occupational regulation, which requires state-approved standards for being qualified or licensed to perform certain jobs or tasks. And one area that he and Kate both have seen cause headaches for employers are rules around dismissal. I think we need some way of dismissing people which doesn't involve huge unpleasantness. But clearly, if we're going to get rid of people for whatever reason, at the moment, the rules are very tightly drawn on fair dismissal. What is fair dismissal is very narrow. And there ought to be some way in which we could end contract with compensation, but without going through this awful business which we have at the moment. You've got to go through quite a lengthy and stringent process when someone is trying to do their role but can't do their role. It takes a lot longer than dealing with a a conduct issue. So around the capability and around medical capability, there's lots of complex processes you need to go through to enable an employer to either get an employee to perform or return to work from a period of absence or in the extreme circumstances, which no one wants to get to, to to exit an employee. Certainly they're the areas that employers struggle with because they're so time consuming and against the backdrop of 
the economic kind of tightness and stringency that we've got and the push on growth that businesses want. It's really testing for businesses at the moment. Certainly medical capability can be a really extensive process that employees have to go through. And they're the probably two areas that businesses are struggling with. And what it's inadvertently leading to is lots more settlement agreements, actually. In the UK... 99.9% of employers are classed as small and medium-sized enterprises, and about 99.9% of discussion around the burden of red tape involved in employment regulation tends to refer to SMEs rather than large corporates. With Peninsula providing support to thousands of these smaller firms, I asked Kate about how SMEs navigate the current landscape and how small business owners feel about it. For a big corporate, you know, they have a big HR team, they utilise people like ourselves, they have roles that are literally looking at certain areas of legislation, equality and diversity, well-being, you know, they're fully equipped to deal with these complex issues and they can put time and resource behind it. But if you compare that to an SME, say with five staff who have the exact same regulations to comply with and they're trying to run, I don't know, a garage or a chip shop or a little garden centre, to have to follow the same law, statute and and legislation as a big corporate is really difficult because they haven't got the time, money, knowledge or resource to invest in it. So it's very much trying to navigate that landscape and do what they can to avoid risk. It's harder. And likewise, if you've got one employee out of five who is raising a grievance, who goes off sick, you know, and it's taking time to deal with that. And it's taking a lot of leadership investment in time and resource and focus. It takes the eye off the ball in terms of business growth. Sadly, the percentage of businesses going into liquidation has increased right now. And and it only takes one out of five employees to have an unfortunate issue or be a disruptor, whatever the situation may be. And that can really have a massive impact on your business. But I speak to many an SME and they say, I, I can't operate The law is the right thing to do. It's there for a purpose. It's to protect everyone. It's really important, but it's hard. And if it's having an impact on the bottom line and the growth and all five employees, because the business is not doing well in terms of growth and profit, that can have a massive impact. I've spoke to many in SME that says the law should be different for my business than an M&S or a big corporate and you can see where they're coming from but the reality is it isn't and it, there is no indication whatsoever that it will change in that regard so they have to deal with what's in front of them. One central issue according to Len is the methodology by which new employment regulation comes into being which he feels is driven by political agendas and point scoring rather than business focused pragmatism. It tends to be particular incidents or particular events which drive the agenda for politicians. And we really don't see systematic thinking through of these things. We tend to see piecemeal interventions driven by day-to-day political agendas. And I think government, in a sense, does too much. It's a hyperactive child. Our system it always wants to be doing something, it won't sit quietly. You know, there are, a headline comes along, we've got to do something, the government got to do something. But there is an obligation here for businesses too. As Kate says, there's no point complaining about the current system if you're not playing an active role in trying to change it. And, as she points out, there exists plenty of opportunities to lobby through business and professional associations and trade groups. Well, a lot of businesses will sit in the background and say things aren't right, but you've got to look where you can get your voice heard, 
get involved with any consultations, get involved with any industries or any bodies that are going to put forward your rights is really important. So, you know, they've, they've got to play an active part in anything that's going to get them heard, really. But many of them don't, ironically, and just will sit there and say, well, it's not right and I'm not happy with it. And what impact has and will Brexit have? As mentioned right at the start of this episode, many saw an exit from the EU as an opportunity to rewrite the employment law landscape, escaping from what they viewed as overly burdensome EU bureaucracy. Well, the short answer is not much. Not yet anyway. And with the general election on the horizon, any imminent change is looking less and less likely, as Kate explains. Well, it certainly hasn't yet, but lots of our legislation is EU driven. And there was a real thrust at the point of Brexit in the few months after to, to absolutely move away from EU driven law, particularly working time regulations is one area that was going to change or was talked about being changed dramatically. But it's all gone very quiet. So, you know, the appetite for that, potentially with an election coming up and certainly with the well-being focus and the, the unrest out there and, and strikes within many industries. I don't think it's on the agenda anytime soon, but I can envisage over time that things will adapt. Len agrees and points out that despite his hopes for change, any form of deregulation is anything but easy to achieve. It's difficult to repeal something which has been bedded in because existing firms who are in the market have incorporated, you know, all this kind of compliance with stuff. And they've appointed people with particular jobs and, and so on and so forth. If uh, the government now threatens to deregulate something, then that throws all that lot up in the air. New firms can come in without the burden of all the all this legislation and win market share while the legacy companies are stuck with all the, you know, the compliance people, the officers, the all the jobs and so on to sort out. So, you know, incumbent firms will often resist deregulation which makes it a, a kind of one-way process as a ratchet effect that you can always add more uh, regulation, but it's difficult to take any away. So I think it's very difficult to deregulate labour markets, quite honestly. Looking further afield, do any countries have it just right? Len name-checks Denmark for having basic protections for workers without what he calls the tangle of employment regulation present in the UK. But he also believes we could learn a thing or two from our friends across the pond in the US. But Kate, as you'll hear in a minute, is far less convinced on that one. The contract at will in the United States, historically, what was the basic situation for, for employment contracts? It has been hedged around, of course, in recent years with things like discrimination legislation and so forth. But it's still there. One of the interesting things is coming out of COVID is the unemployment rate in the United States rose to about 14%, right? It rose to about 5 or 6% here. It rose to about 14% because people could just be fired, essentially. However, the upside of that is that people get back into work very, very quickly once the change has occurred. So the unemployment rate in the United States at the moment is currently below that in the UK. There are advantages in having a very flexible system like that, where, OK, people lose their jobs, but they get back into jobs quickly. You don't have, because of the way the benefits work in the United States and in federal and state and so forth, you don't have long-term unemployment in quite the way we do in the UK. There is a limit to 
whatever benefits are available in the United States, six months is the maximum for many benefits. Whereas in the UK, of course, you can be unemployed, looking for work for many years. And this, unfortunately, is often the case. It can't be right for a business just to be able to exit someone with no notice and for no reason. It can't be. It's not moral. It's not human. It would be terrible for businesses and employees alike, I would say, to even mutate in, into that area. It's interesting because even in America, you know, you see lots of businesses acting over and above what they need to do, because what you'll see is people will gravitate towards the good, towards the people that treat them fairly and with respect and humanely. So you you would see that if there were no employment laws here, you would see the good businesses actually deciding to act over and above what legally they're compliant, that legally obliged to do. And you see that in America within certain states, within certain businesses. So no, I think that is not a position we would ever want to get to. And certainly I think that has detriment for employee and businesses alike. There exists a whole industry around employment law in the UK. Len as a commentator, an academic, and Kate as part of a company providing employment law services are both part of it. And so, of course, are HR professionals. What would the impact on all these professions be if we were to see any lightening or simplification of employment law? Let's hear from Kate first. Well, certainly, I think that the instantaneous thought would be, goodness me, are we needed? (laughs) You know, (laughs) do I need a settlement agreement? Am I going to get made redundant? But I think then your focus would change. And I think around all those soft skills, around recommendations to businesses, around the fact that, albeit there's no employment law, what's right for this business? You know, what is needed for this business to grow? And it might not be, we don't have any employment laws. It might be, as a business, we want to maintain this, this and this. So I think it had become a bit more of a, for want of a better phrase, a sweet shot, really, where you're thinking, what do we need to do for us? It gives that autonomy. It gives that freedom. It probably also makes a HR professional's job quite harder, I would say, because A lot of what we do can be process-led. Without that process, if you're not creative and you're not thoughtful and you don't know what your particular business needs, there's a lot more need to be creative and thoughtful. So for some, I bet it would make it harder. But yeah, you would change your focus on what's right for this business and planning accordingly. And here's Len. In the days when I was running a couple of large business schools, I worked closely with HR people and, and they were all excellent people. However, you've got to look at the scale of at the expansion of HR. I mean, there's a quarter of a million people whose job descriptions include human resource. So it's been a massive expansion of human resource management. It's equivalence in other areas like uh, the financial sector, where compliance, compliance, more and more people working in this kind of thing. None of these things directly contribute to productivity, to producing output goods and services, which the public actually want. They tend to slow down economic change uh, and make it costly for every move which employers want to make. I think if we did deregulate, though I'm not optimistic at all about deregulation happening, I think there probably would be a gradual cutting back of some of these functions. While, as Len says, he is in no way optimistic about his deregulation ideal becoming a reality, I asked him to address the central thought experiment of this episode. What if we had no employment law? What environment would that create for employees and employers alike? And would he welcome it? It'd be a very different world, but it'd be a world which is not totally unfamiliar. Until the 1980s, 1990s, 
We had very little employment regulation in this country. Much of it was left to private bargains and to to collective bargaining, to unions negotiating with employers. We didn't have minimum wages. We didn't have unfair dismissal laws. You know, there are a whole load of things which we didn't have. And yet this was the working environment of our parents and grandparents. Yeah, it existed. It worked after a fashion. Think about the United States where, yes, it's a harsher environment in some ways for workers. On the other hand, it's an environment where wages have risen much more rapidly than now in the UK, where living standards are much higher, where people who are out of work get back into jobs quicker and so forth. So it's a different environment, what we've been used to, but it wouldn't necessarily be a worse environment for most people. And what about Kate? What does she think a world without employment law would look like? A mess, quite honestly. I mean, think back to the 1800s, a world of no employment law. There were some businesses that did more than they had to, but there was many businesses that really didn't have good employee relations. People weren't treated fairly, poor working conditions. And and if a business is of that inclination where profit comes first and the employees don't influence that and aren't a fundamental part of that, which sadly some businesses still think, You know, there are those businesses out there. There could be really poor working conditions for some employees out there. However, there could be some great things where employers are really creative and come up with really good things that attract and retain employees to have that competitive edge. But it would be a messy landscape of differentials within those two extremes, I would say. You know, it gives you peace of mind that as an employee, you can come into work and you do have something to rely on. And likewise, it gives structures to employers. They they need some structure. They need some parameters in which they can operate. Otherwise, it just becomes a mess. So what do you think? Would a world without employment law be a mess? Or are we already in such a mess that any change is worthy of exploration? While they don't see eye to eye on the benefits or otherwise of deregulation, Len and Kate both agree that any significant change is unlikely. So, if you're an HR professional or an employment lawyer listening, your job is safe. For now at least. You have been listening to the What If podcast, brought to you by the CIPD's Work magazine. To find out more about how the CIPD is dedicated to better work and working lives, visit cipd.co.uk. And don't forget to check out the rest of the What If series from your podcast provider or the peoplemanagement.co.uk website.